It's Wednesday, February 16th, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined by Paul Hoynes. Hoynesy, the pitchers and catchers would be getting their physicals today in Goodyear, Arizona, if it weren't for this pesky lockout. Uh, I think uh, all of us are are pretty much fed up with it and really wish wish we were at least following what was going on out there in, in Arizona with real players and real coaches and managers just sort of getting together and getting ready for the season. What do you miss most about not being out there right now in the desert? I just miss, uh, I miss the sunshine for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I miss the sunshine and I just miss, you know, the vibe of it, you know, that, that, that is the start of something that, you know, these are the first kind of baby steps of the season. And, uh, you know, there's always something going on, you know, there's always somebody's late for camp. Somebody's overweight, somebody's having visa problems, or, you know, you just, you know, you get to count heads and see who's there and who's not there. And, you know, what position players have showed up early and uh, it's just, uh, you know, you get to, you know, say hello to everybody that you haven't seen all winter. It's, it's a good, that that's what I miss the most. No, uh, no dodging water balloons from Tito or anything like that. No, Uh, no. I, I don't know. I, I just sort of get, I, I guess I miss uh, staying connected, you know, and, and following from back here, uh, listening to, to Hammy and, and Rosie uh, do those, you know, those broadcasts that sort of feel like almost like college radio broadcasts because they're doing them uh, just on the MLB app as, as I'm listening to them back, back home, uh, but still getting a, a really good sense. Last year uh, during spring training, I had uh, a link that, uh, that Rosie sent out and it was the uh, he would he would do a zoom of just the field for the games that weren't being broadcast, so we could actually see what was going on live. It wasn't it wasn't like a play by play or anything like that. It was just sort of a you know exclusive for the the reporters who who sort of had to follow and, and write up the games and stuff. And it was you know man, I don't want to get anybody in trouble by by saying that because he wasn't he was sort of pirate broadcasting the, uh, the games, uh, but it, but it felt real neat. It, it felt like, like we were sort of behind the scenes, uh, you know, back here, uh, getting a, a little taste of what was going on there in Arizona. And, and that was, uh, you know, with one thing from the pandemic that we got, uh, with all this zoom access, as opposed to real in-person access was, you know, the, it, we, there was a regular sort of churn or, or flow of there were daily, we would get guys into the, uh, into the office and they would, they would talk on Zoom and we'd get something every day out of every one of those. So we transcribing those interviews and and all that. It was it was it was something. And right now we have nothing. And that's just sort of the, the feeling that we got. Yeah. No, the, 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 the other thing I missed, Joe, is just being in Arizona. Just. I mean, you know, it's such a cool state. It's such a big you know, dramatic change from Ohio. You know, there's desert, there's mountains, there's sunshine, there's cactus. You know, you just see stuff that you don't see, you know, growing up in Ohio. I'm not knocking Ohio, you know, I, I love Ohio, but it's, yeah, you it's can just see things like the ground the instead of a pile of snow. It's, it's <laughs> ridiculous. Uh, all right. I don't want to waste any more time on talking about all that. And, and later on we can talk about, um, uh, you know, some of the, you know, what, what else is, is going on in terms of the negotiations and all that, but I want to get to today's uh, top 25 uh, most memorable Cleveland baseball players of the last 38 years, uh, because this is one that we could probably talk about for days. 
and, and that you probably got a few stories about and, and, and folks are, are uh, um, really sort of anxious to hear about. Uh, with a, a blind reveal here, we'll go. Uh, this was one of baseball's most feared sluggers of the 1990s. He ranks in Cleveland franchise top 10 in home runs. He's second. RBIs, he's 10th. On base and slugging percentage, he's fifth. He's the single-season franchise record holder in extra base hits with 103 and slugging percentage, 714 in 1994 before the season was cut short. 93, he led major leagues in RBIs with 129. In 95, he led baseball in slugging percentage, 690. Uh, and total bases, 337, and home runs, uh, 50, and extra base hits with 103, and he didn't win the MVP. Uh, in 1996, he led the American League in RBIs with 148, a four-time All-Star uh, with the Indians, and the only player in baseball history to hit 50 home runs and 50 doubles in the same season, and it was a, sh a shortened season at that, uh, Hoinsey, who are we talking about? It's got to be Albert Bell. <laughs> That's uh, when when uh, when the first line of your your bio reads "most feared sluggers," and I think <laughs> fear is a, a a really good adjective or, or word to use in there. Uh, you know, uh, Albert was was definitely that. He was an intimidator. He was a, he was a presence. Uh, he was a lot of things, but between the lines. He was just one of the best hitters for, for a six or seven year stretch uh, in the early 90s into the mid 90s. He was uh, a guy that you did not want to see step into the plate if you were an opposing pitcher. Yeah, definitely. He and he liked the big moment. You know, he liked he liked being up there with runners on base and the game on the line. And he scared people. I think he he really, really scared people. He, he scared me. I know. that. <laughs> well, just the way that, you know, he stepped into that box and he, he glared at a, a, a pitcher and he sort of like, he sort of like just sort of rhythmically sort of waved that bat back and forth in front of him. A lot of guys growing up in the, uh, the, the early nineties imitated his, his batting stance and his mannerisms and uh, very meticulous every time he stepped out of the box to take his practice swings. He was a real, uh, above all else, everything else personality-wise, he was a real student of the game and, and really studied and took meticulous notes on at-bats and on pitchers. And, uh, you know, we know all of this. He, he, he really did, you know, sort of study the science of hitting. Yeah, he, he, he broke it down. He, uh, you know, he was a smart guy. Um, he, you know, he kept, he just didn't keep a book on pitchers you know, he kept a book on umpires too, how they called the strike zone against him and, and, you know, what, what tendencies they had. Uh, he was just, uh, he, he was such an intense uh, competitor that, uh, you know, that helped him on the field, but I think it also worked against him at times. And there were certainly a lot of those too. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of the stories and a lot of the, of what makes Albert, memorable in this way you know there's so much that we can talk about with him as a player but what makes him memorable is all the other stuff as well you know even from early on you know, there there are famous and storied incidents uh, at the old stadium throwing a, a baseball into the stands and, and hitting a fan in the chest who was who was taunting him uh you know 
cursing out Hannah Storm in the dugout at uh, Jacob Field. Uh, you know, the the corked bat incident and, and cutting the bat in half and all that. And, you know, uh, having his bat uh, confiscated after hitting the home run against Boston in the in the playoffs. I, I there are uh, just too many to name. And I guess, uh, you know, I don't want to forget any. But which which ones stand out uh, the most to you uh, as, you know, just like quintessential Albert Bell moments? Yeah, I just think, uh, you know, with the thing that started it for me, you know, was in, uh, you know, 1991. Um, he did, Albert, late in the game against the White Sox, you know, he hit a ground ball. He thought it was three outs. There were two outs. You know, he thought it was he thought the end that was the third out. And it was only one out, I believe. And he didn't run to first base. And they sent him down, um, you know, they sent him down the next nu- day uh, to, uh, they were in Colorado Springs, a triple-A team the next day. And I remember John McNamara was the manager. And, and he said, this is a simple game. You get to first base and turn left. You get to second base and turn left. You get to third base and turn left. Then you hit, then you touch home plate and you score a point. And it was like, it was, it was like, you know, Albert, this is all you got to do here. This is, you know, you got to run hard. And Albert, you know, I called Albert at when he got to Colorado Springs and he said he, he thought he had lost track of the outs. He thought the inning was over and that's why he didn't run. But that, and then, you know, then there was the Jeffrey Pillar thing, like you were talking about the, the fan that he, that he hit, you know, that, that was taunting him at the old stadium when he was playing left field and he drilled him in the chest with a fastball. And, and it just kept going from there, Joe. It just never really stopped. I mean, you know, in those days when when a player got suspended, you know, the hearing wasn't held until that team got to New York. Right. And uh, for, for as long as Albert played in Cleveland, it seemed like every time we were in New York, we were <laughs> the reporters were standing outside the American League office waiting for this, waiting for a decision to come down on this guy. Was he suspended? How much was he fined? You know, the the Hannah the Hannah Storm, you know, fine was fifty thousand dollars for chasing her out of the dugout during the nineteen ninety five World Series. And I, I just I don't think he chased her out of the dugout. He just kind of you know gave her a hard time and harassed her. And uh, she stood her ground. She was she was tough, man. She she hung in there. And uh, but the next next spring, they find the guy, fifty thousand dollars, which at the time was one of the and still probably is one of the biggest fines, you know, that has ever been handed down in in uh, in baseball because you know there's a limit to fines, right? Uh, you know, in the in the basic agreement. But this happened in the World Series to one of their, you know, one of the uh, the shareholder, you know, one of the the NB, or well, I forget who she was working with, but they were airing the stakeholder. Yeah, the, you can't do that to a, a media rights stakeholder as they're you know trying to cover the series. That's that's one of uh, baseball's big things. Uh, how much did his sort of reputation like that, like you said, contribute to that '95 season? Where if you look at the numbers, and if I gave you you know blind statistics side by side, he just towers over Mo Vaughn, but Mo Vaughn wins the MVP in 95 and Albert Bell put up all of those numbers. And I said, like he did, like I said, he, he didn't win the MVP and, and it was, you know, everybody just sort of looks at that and says, oh, well, the, the media doesn't like him. Yeah. Well, that was a direct result of Albert being Albert, 
You know, I mean, he was not a pleasant guy to be around. I mean, some there, there were days when, you know, he'd talk your ears off and days where he looked like he wanted to bite your head off. And, but in that, that's the best single season I've ever seen a player have Joe. I mean, <laughs> I mean, like you said, this guy led, led the American league in runs, doubles, home runs, RBIs, slugging percentage, total bases. And he doesn't win the MVP. He finishes second. And I do know for a fact that the two voters from Cleveland voted for him because I was one of them. And, uh, but you know, around the league, it just didn't work. And, uh, you know, and that was his reputation and, and it hurt him. It hurt him in, in that regard. And I, I don't think Albert really cared. I really don't. I, I just, he, that's the way he was. And uh, that's well, the way his personality was. And, and I remember a few years back, you and I both talked to him. Uh, we did a podcast with him and, uh, you know, just sort of talked about he was eligible for one of the, the veterans committees uh, for the Hall of Fame. And I think uh, he might have been a finalist, but he wasn't uh, he wasn't chosen and it wasn't expected to be chosen uh, at, at that point. But, you know, like you said at the time, it's he, he had sort of let that that sort of let those feelings sort of go for him. He, it, he wasn't really all that concerned about it. Yeah. And when you look at it, you know, different people judge Hall of Famers, you know, Hall of Fame players different ways. But, you know, most of them look at a seven to 10 year stretch where was this guy dominant? And you could certainly, you know, Albert was, you know, he he was there's no doubt about it. He was, you know, one of the best hitters, most feared hitters in, in baseball for, you know, a seven or eight year period. And uh, but he didn't I think he only stayed on the ballot for two or three years. And you'd really like to, you know, maybe people will take another look at that. But, you know. His reputation preceded him, and 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 that did, really did not help him in, you know, when it came to you know staying on the ballot and getting you know getting his career giving his giving his career a set a, a chance to get a closer look. And in the years since he's retired, obviously there have been incidents. There there was a a, a drunk driving arrest. There was you know uh, that kind of, all, all that kind of stuff. Uh, how much? Of a, can he rehabilitate himself? Can he go on a, a PR blitz and, and sort of, you know, get his name out there and get, get the idea that, you know, he might be worthy of another look? I, who knows if that's something that uh, is, is possible at this point? Uh, yeah, I, 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 I don't see Albert doing that. I think yeah. he's a numbers guy. And if you don't like his numbers, you know, you're not going to, you know, there's nothing, you're, you're not going to change that. You're not going to change his numbers. And Joe, you know, just done, like, I mean, and, and sometimes, you know, he, his reputation put him in bad spots. I remember there was a, in, in Cleveland once he was playing ping pong at some place and some guys were giving him a hard time, you know, and he, he hit one of them on the head with a ping pong paddle and the guy, well, <laughs> the guy wanted to sue him. He, the guy was a cook from Maryland and he wanted to sue him. And I don't know whatever happened to that, but, uh, but, but I asked Albert about it and he called the guy a pencil neck geek. So, <laughs> Yeah. I, I mean, if you're Albert Bell and you've got that reputation and you're out at a bar or someplace, you know, uh, and, and people approach you, it, it's got to make things awkward and weird. And especially with the way that he left Cleveland and, you know, his departure, what, what do you remember about 
you know, him, you know, leaving Cleveland after the 1996 season. Yeah, there was no doubt. You know, I think the organization had had it with with Albert. They they had put up with a lot with they had put up uh, uh, with a lot of his you know on the field and off the field dramatics. They had had it. He had had it with the organization. He knew they weren't going to pay him, and uh, you know he ended up with the White Sox. What a five year, fifty five million dollar contract that made him at that time the highest paid player in baseball. Um, but it was, it was always, you know, Jimmy Ingram had, had a, great, a, a great line when he was writing for the News Herald. It, it was always Albert Bell and the Indians. You know, it was always like Darth Vader and the Indians. It was never, you know, this, they could never just celebrate the, this great run that they'd had because there was, Albert was always doing something. Albert was always getting caught with a cork bat. He was always running over Fernando Vina. He was always yelling at, you know, ch- t- throwing a baseball at Tony Tomsick, a Sports Illustrated, you know, uh, photographer. And uh, I think, you know, finally it was like, okay, it's time for us to split. You know, this is good riddance. Okay, good luck. But, you know, this isn't, you know, this isn't going to work. And, you know, I, and talking to Albert, you know, you know, after he retired, he said, you know, they split up that team. We were still a great team. We, we still could have won a world series, but we didn't keep that team together. And well, Albert was, you know, they couldn't afford a one, but he was, he was one of the reasons they broke it up. Right. Yeah. I remember, you know, when he came back to play in Cleveland, they were, you know, dumping (laughs) bags of fake money over the, uh, the wall and left field at him. That's uh, that, that sort of villainized him, you know, for, for a guy who, for, for at least uh, you know three, four, five years there, uh, the city was in love with with because he was the guy that came through every time. Uh, you, you go back. You mentioned the Fernando Vina thing uh, and and just all the, the all of those on field incidents. You know the off the field stuff is every guy nowadays has something like that. But uh, the on field stuff, running over Fernando Vina, were you, you were there at the game in in Milwaukee? Yeah, and it was. What, what was it like in the locker room after that? Yeah, well, you know, that, you know, not only did Albert run over, uh, run over, you know, Vina and almost kill him and turned him into roadkill. I mean, then in the ninth inning, they had a huge brawl. I right. mean, uh, you know, Tavares. Bell was going out. Bell was, they had thrown at Bell a couple times after that, uh, the Brewers. And, and Bell was going out to, to uh, the outfield. I don't know if he was playing right field or left field. <laughs> And uh, uh, Tavares is on the mound, uh, Julian Tavares, and Bell, Bell goes up to him. He goes, you know what you have to do. So the first guy up, he drills him. And just the whole, the whole both teams are on the field. There's fights all over the place. Uh, <laughs> the umpire uh, uh, grabs uh, Tavares from the back. Uh, the home plate umpire, Joe. Uh, yeah, that was Joe Brinkman. Yeah, Joe Brinkman came up and grabbed Tavares from behind. Tavares flipped him over his head, and Brinkman lands <laughs> flat on his back. I thought he killed him. And, and I talked to Brinkman after the game. He goes, nah, I'm okay. He, he thought I was another player. And so, but it was that kind of fight. And then so we go down and uh, we go down and talk to uh, uh, Bell after the game. And this is when Bell wasn't talking to anybody. And, right. But he, and, th- and before the game, they called me from work. Somebody had written a story. I think Tony Grossi had written a story on, on Bell's background. 
and they and they but he wouldn't talk to him about it you know uh you know and they asked me well can you go down and talk to bell you know and 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 see this was before the game and and I'm sitting there thinking, geez, oh man, this is not a good, a good situation to be for me asking Albert Bell. <laughs> but I went down there and, and Bell, you know, defends himself. You know, they told me, you know, Vina was standing in the in the baseline and the play before there was a play earlier in the game where kind of a similar play and, and Bell stopped, you know, and let him let Vina tag him out. And uh, uh, Davy Davy Nelson, the first base coach, was giving him a hard time. He goes, "You got to run that guy over. You can't let him." you know, tag you out and, and, and complete the double play. And that's what Bell that's did. It. Uh, that's it. It was Dave, from Davey Nelson's lips, huh? That was, uh, <laughs> that set it all up. That's, that's great. Uh, you know, that, you talked about Albert shutting out the media there, uh, you know, sort of not talking. W was that sort of a, a, a problem too? Was, was, you know, getting access to him when he, when he would talk? Yeah, well, it, it was so strange, Joe. There were times when you could talk to Albert, and he 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 talked to you forever. And but the the next day, he, he, you know, he'd act like he never saw you before. He never wanted to talk to you, and he just kind of growled at you. <laughs> there was there was a time uh, when when Andy Call and Mike Sullivan, uh, one from Columbus, and Andy Call was from Canton. They were right. talking to a player. Damian Jackson, that was right next to uh, Albert's locker. <laughs> Sully was sitting in Albert's chair. <laughs> and, and, and Andy Call was kneeling on Albert's hat. His, 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 his baseball cap had fallen to the floor, and, and Andy Call's kneeling on the cap. And, and Albert comes up to him. I'm watching this from afar. And I said, oh, my God, this is <laughs> – they're going to have to bring a couple body bags in here before this thing ends. But Albert was so stunned. He just turned around and walked away. He, goes, I, he didn't uh, know what to say. Yeah. It's Andy calls near death experience. I used to work with Andy <laughs> down at uh, the repository. Yeah. That's uh, that's in line. Where did he fit with that 95 team in terms of uh, you know, the, the locker room and the chemistry and the personality was was it like that when he walked into the room? Did the uh, did everything stop? You know, record scratch and everybody look, or you know, did you ever see him just like laughing and joking around? Yeah, I mean, he was he was he was okay. He got along with you know his teammates, you know, and uh, <laughs> you know the the Mister Freeze story when when he would come in, he would come in and turn the temperature way as cold as it could get in the locker room because he'd come in between innings and uh, cool off, I guess. But, but you know, the, the, it, the pitchers were freezing. Everybody else was freezing in the locker room. And uh, Eric Plunk would come in with his, you know, his, his, uh, his cold weather gear on and sit, sit in his locker, sit at his locker. And uh, so this went on for a while. And then I think uh, one, one of the relievers, I can't remember, when, when Albert would come in and turn the temperature down, he would come in and turn it up. And this went on for like four or five innings, you know, and finally Albert got, got mad, and took a bat and, and hammered the thermostat through the wall. And then just a huge hole in the wall. And whoever, they, they covered it up with a piece of wood and, and wrote Mr. Freeze on it. And that was, <laughs> that's what people called him from then on. They were calling him Mr. Freeze because oh, he was like, he would snap. And it was, it was like, it was not pretty. Yeah, the, the best story 
you know, of course, with Albert is, you know, getting caught with the court bad in what in 1994 with right in Chicago against the White Sox and, uh, and Jason and, Grimsley. You know, yeah. And against the White Sox. And then, you know, so the umpires confiscated the bat, put it in the umpires room and, uh, and Grimsley crawls through the rafters and, and gets it. And, but doesn't put it, he can't put, you know, another Albert Bell bat in there. He puts a Paul Sorrento bat in there. And, you mm -hmm. know, I asked around after that, he said, why not put a, another Albert Bell bat in there? Because every bat he had taken on the trip was corked. They were all corked. <laughs> yeah. And then, then, you know, the, 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 I think the White Sox came, you know, he, they sent the, uh, I forget what happened. They, they, they sent, they went back to Chicago after that. And Albert was afraid they'd get they search his bat or searches his uh, uh, his bats. You know the White mm -hmm. Sox would search his bats, go in there in the middle of the night, and so he said he tied them. You know he's an Eagle Scout, and he tied them with this certain knot that only he would know. That only he would know how to retie. You know if if somebody reopened the bag and and checked the bats, he would know. So it was like, it was like uh, the White Sox had security travel with them to Cleveland. It was crazy. That's great. I uh, know. And, and I, I just remember uh, in 95, after the, the Red Sox asked for the bat to be taken out of play when, you know, he famously, you know, flexed at uh, Kevin Kennedy across the dugout. Uh, I, I remember they, you know, that bat was that, that bat actually wasn't corked and uh, they wound up, you know, just sawing the bat in half to prove it. Yeah. And, uh, I think, I forget who the, the AL president, I think the AL president was Bobby Brown then maybe, maybe and, yeah. Well, and maybe Albert so. told him what he could do with the bat <laughs> after, the, after they saw it. In the that would be, uh, the two halves of that bat would be definitely something to, to keep in the, uh, the, the, the Cleveland baseball archives or the museum, you know, that yeah, would I be, think uh, they, they could never find that. I don't, I don't think they know what happened to that, but that would, that would be, that would be something to have for sure. We got to ask Tony Amato if he, if he knows whatever happened to that, uh, the, the two halves of Albert Bell's bat. Uh, all right. Well, uh, it, it's been great sort of uh, reminiscing and looking back on, on Albert Bell's time in Cleveland. It was certainly, uh, you know, tumultuous, but also at the same time, it was, it was really great to just remember how, like you said, he liked the big moment. He liked the big stage. He liked coming through in the clutch and I think that's what some of us want to want to you know carry away from memories of Albert Bell is that you know in those big moments I, I just remember that home run against Lee Smith you know yeah. the game was over and, and Albert Bell you know brought the Indians back uh, on his on his own back it was what, it was what did Lee Sabe said he Smith said he hit it into the barbecue pit that's <laughs> exactly what he did. <laughs> All right, Hoinsey, we'll be uh, back again tomorrow with another edition of the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. We'll talk to you then. All right, Joe.